On this episode of Writing Tandem... Um, I've been in, you know, the corporate jobs and stuff and not really passionate about it. And it's probably a little, it was probably a little harder to talk about because it's like, I don't really care mm. about what I'm doing. So what, what do I have to share to, to other people? Hi there. This is your host, Vivian, and you're listening to Writing Tandem, a podcast that is all things business, entrepreneurship, and the secrets to operating a successful business while still having a life you love. Whether you're a business owner on the verge of taking that side hustle to the next level or just curious about the world of entrepreneurship, join me as I go behind the scenes of my own business and the businesses of others, unpacking some of the most valuable lessons you can apply today. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to this episode of Writing Tandem. Very excited for our guest today. I have with us today Neil Eilers. And he is the owner and founder of Any Custom Framing and Furniture. And Neil has been able to grow a business from his garage to a fabulous location and storefront in downtown Ralston, Nebraska. And we were talking a little bit before, and he says, you know, I don't know if I have the most interesting story, but I do do have some interest. And I'm like, no, this is going to be a super interesting story. So I'm excited for you all to be listening in today. He, Neil grew up in Nebraska, in the Ralston neighborhoods, and he had a great passion for wildlife photography. And that is actually one of the ways that I got to know Neil is through my husband, who also does landscape photography and a little wildlife photography as well. And so my husband kept talking about Neil and how he had to go check out his gallery and shop. And I said, okay, okay, let's, let's do this. And so we did, and I just knew that it was going to be a fun conversation. So It was because of the photography passion that Neil had that he started building his own frames, which makes complete sense having been a photographer when you can control the framing and matting. That's just a beautiful thing. It can really show off your artwork and um, it can also just make a difference in how you show that artwork. So, but um, he was building these frames and before he knew it, the frames were out selling his photography. And isn't that funny how things like that happen? And so from that, he decided to create a custom framing business, which is the Any Custom Framing and Furniture. And that was around 2019, which uh, is an interesting year. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit leading up to 2020. Um, But one of the things I love about Neil and the shop there is that when you work with him, it's all about the experience. He believes in picking out the um, the custom wood in order to make that frame. And that I love on his website even says that every time you do this, it should be a simple, elegant, and affordable experience. And I'm excited to talk about that as well because I know sometimes um, having something custom framed might seem impossible. But I know Neil has all kinds of things to say about that. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But Neil truly owns the entire process from handpicking each slab of wood at the sawmill to sanding it and finishing each frame by hand. So you never have two frames that are alike. And I will say having been in the shop, they're beautiful. And also getting to see the slabs of wood like in their raw form and the texture and the smells is just a really fun experience. So if you're in there and get to stop in, I would highly recommend it. Neil also though, he's a man of many talents. So he also creates beautiful furniture and household items. And I know I've mentioned this before, Neil, but I'll say it again. I would love to have one of those tables someday. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to do one for you. Yeah, here shortly. 
But yeah, no, thank you for the introduction. That was great. And I appreciate you having me here. This is yeah. This is awesome to uh you know, kind of brag about my business and Yeah. And uh It's good to do a little out. humble bragging. It is. For sure. It is. We were talking earlier. I'm actually reading a book right now. And it's I will look up the title, but I want to say it's something like The Art of Bragging and Tooting Your Own Horn. And there's like a tagline to it, I think, of like, but not in a unclassy way. Yeah. No, <laughs> I just absolutely. butchered the title. I'll look it up. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I think we might touch on today is, is not, I mean, not necessarily bragging, but just talking about your business, especially like with like networking groups and stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's been a, a great key to my success. I would love um, that. But yeah. So. Why do you um, think it's so hard sometimes for people to talk about their business or have you ever found it hard or was it natural for you? Well, to talk about my business, it's, it's natural because number one, it's, I, it, it's my passion. It's what I'm passionate about. And I think if, if, if you find that passion in your life of what you're doing, it's very easy to talk about. Mm. If you're not, um, I've been in, you know, the corporate jobs and stuff and, not really passionate about it, and it's probably a little. It was probably a little harder to talk about because it's like I don't really care mm. about what I'm doing. So, what what do I have to share to to other people? And so, um, what are the key pieces of your story that would bring us a better understanding of how you've arrived here today? And you can yeah. go back as far as you want. Like if that's I was I'll, five and or whatever. Yeah. So um, I won't. Yeah, I'll go back just a little bit to growing up. Um, so like you mentioned, I grew up here in Ralston. Um, I should have grown up in the mountains, but for whatever <laughs> reason, the Midwest uh, hills. The Midwest. Yeah, my parents weren't uh, um, apt to moving anywhere. They're from you know central Nebraska and. Their jobs were here, and I think I remember one time they're like, "Oh, we might move to New Mexico," and it's like, <laughs> "Let's go, <laughs> let's yeah. get out of here." But that never happened. And so, but just they, my parents, since even before me, I mean, um, my dad always talks about having the truck camper and going camping a lot, and so I spent a lot of time in nature. And especially by myself, because my sister was nine years older than me. And when your sibling's nine years older than you, you don't, you're not out there playing. Yeah. And uh, so I spent a lot of time like down in Wabansi. I don't know if you and Troy have been there. I don't think I have, it's but a good I feel place. like you mentioned it. Um, but, and then traveling around Nebraska and Iowa and stuff, um, we did a lot of camping, so I spent a lot of time in nature, and I wish I had found photography earlier, and so that's kind of where um, my passion lies, because I also was able to move around not only the country a lot, so I ended up living in the mountains um, in Missoula, Montana, which was really cool. and um, a beautiful area. It is. It's, uh, yeah, Montana's kind of weird in that... Everything is like three hours away from everything. For sure. So if you're like, I was in I was in Missoula. Bozeman was three hours. The capital was three hours. Glacier was three hours. And so you're kind of just 
you know, in the middle of everything, but like middle of heaven. Yeah. No, it's it's that was that was a good time in my life. Really How did good. you end up there? So after I graduated college, so I um, graduated with a, a bachelor's in house, hospital administration. Really? Yeah. So well, this is going to get interesting. Yeah. So when I was going to school, um, I went to Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, and I played hockey um, up in Minnesota. And I was doing physical therapy. Well, I'm not such like science, math type person. And so that lasted like half a semester. That surprises (laughs) me with doing frames and furniture. I think of that and I'm like, it's so much math. Yeah, but it's like the simple math. It's not like calculus. Like, I I don't know how I made it through that class, but um, it's... It is a lot of math, but it's um, it's easily done on a calculator. Okay. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but uh, so the job that I was with, and in referencing being you know passionate about what you're doing, um, I was with a company called Ferguson. They're a wholesale plumbing supply company, and then I went through their sales training management program, and I did that out in Missoula, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, my cousin who ran kind of North Dakota, Northern Minnesota, recruited me back to the Fargo-Moorhead area. And then at that time, this was 2008, 2009. And it was just, you know, getting up every day and just doing something that I just wasn't passionate about. Like I was in sales and I didn't even care if like anybody bought anything from me. Oh, no. And that's like the whole point of sales is like you want to sell stuff. And it's like, I, I mean, if you want to buy it from me, that's great. But if you don't like go somewhere else. But I wasn't like, I wasn't like rude or anything to my customers because early on you mentioned owning the whole experience and creating like an environment in my store. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, I'm thankful for that job because that's where... I really learned the value of customer service and the customer signs your paychecks, not like your boss. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in the corporate world, I always had that mentality, like my boss doesn't sign my paychecks, like my customer signs my paychecks. And that's where we'll get into that a little bit in terms of, you know, owning the whole whole experience and, and just having that customer service that is next to none. And so... So I moved back to Fargo, and at that time, it was like, well, what do I do with my life now? And I made a plan in 2008. It was October 2008. I'm going to save up for one year, and then I'm just going to go travel. Nice. I didn't know where, but uh, I finally, for some reason, I landed on South America. I don't know why. I don't know what the reasons were. (laughs) <laughs> I thought like Asia maybe, but maybe South America. I I took Spanish in college and that was cool, but I mean, I don't know, maybe so I just So you were like fluent. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I barely passed that class. <laughs> like I think the teacher felt bad for me. Uh-oh. Like I remember sitting in the in cuz I didn't take it in high school. I took German because in high school I took German because I knew the instructor 
at my sister took German, and so the instructor, sorry, the instructor knew me, and I was like, oh, that'll be an easy grade, and so that's why I didn't even take Spanish in high school, but I'm sitting in college Spanish, where everybody at least had a year or two in high school, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know like how to conjugate, I didn't know what conjugate a <laughs> verb means, right. <laughs> and so I, this girl next to me, and she helped me out a little bit, so I kind of like fumbled my way through those classes but um i don't know for some reason i landed on south america and drive there were you gonna drive no um actually i wanted to bike there really yeah so all this multi-passionateness i'm loving it yeah so bike there during that time i tried to get my friend to bike the Pan American Highway. Yes. So from the top of Alaska to the bottom of South America. Would love to. Not bike. I don't want to bike it. I'm not a biker, but yeah. I would love to. Just like an overland vehicle. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. And he, long story short, he didn't want to do it at that time. And then now, years later, he's biked like almost all the way around the world. Wow. I'm like, man, why don't you do this with me earlier? Like, now I can't. I mean, I could i would miss my wife but i could go and bike with you but it is what it is yeah and so i got hooked up with a non-profit and i did some uh work in bolivia um i we worked with an indigenous tribe that's a whole that that would be a whole podcast in itself um and then i met my friend who has biked around the world in chile and we spent four or five months traveling like Patagonia, um, all, all around Chile and Argentina. And then I went back and, uh, lived in Santiago for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself in Colombia, which is where I met my wife. So my wife is from Colombia. I spent a couple years there and then we moved back to the States in 2014. Okay. So I feel like the big question people always ask at this point is like, that sounds amazing. How did you pay for it? Was it all um, with a nonprofit? No, I saved. So in 2008, I made, you know, like kind of a pact with myself. It was like, we're going to save for a year. And so during that time traveling around, we probably, we didn't spend more than like $1,000 a month. So it was like, on average, it, would, it was about 500 a month is what we would spend. And so we had plenty, plenty of money. We, I mean, we weren't like filthy rich, like living like kings, but it was very cheap to travel around. I mean, hostels back then, I don't know what they are now, but I mean, they were, you know, $5 a night. Right. And, you know, breakfast was like a dollar or something. And so um, I was able to travel for quite a bit. And then, uh, so after we moved from Columbia back to the States in 2014, my wife had always wanted to study in another, in an English speaking country. When we met, she was trying to go to Australia and I kind of put the kibosh on that and, uh, got her to move. Well, I didn't really get her to move. I love Columbia. It's, I mean, the people are nice. The weather is like 75, mm-hmm. 80 tops, 80 tops. And then at night it might get down. It's been getting down to like 55, which is cold for them. Perfect. 
So no humidity up in the mountains. And so that's like the perfect place that anybody would want to live. Sure. I'm not going to tell you the name because I don't want you anybody don't to move. There. Nah, I don't want people going there. And I think Australia, okay, you said English speaking. Yes, but. <laughs> I don't That's know if that would point. set you up quite. No, we it ran across my mind be like, yeah, I could follow her to Australia, but then it's like, no, the cost of living and finding a job oh, gosh, there would yeah. be just nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. And so um we moved up here. She works in public health, so she was a public health administrator in the city of Medellin. Um, which is, you know, four or five million people. It's not a small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, our our deal was, um, I'm going to find a job and uh, when we move up here, and I'm going to support you through school. And when you graduate and find a job, you're going to support me in whatever my passion is. And so um, I found a job with Warner. Um, it was an amazing time. Um, this was kind of like the corporate world. Um, I ran our cross-border operations to and from Mexico. Um, so everything to and from Mexico by train called Intermol, um, went through my group. And so I traveled a lot through, through Mexico, spent a lot of time down there and it was great, but it wasn't necessarily something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, in comes the photography. So growing up in nature, I've always developed this just passion for nature and just being out in nature. It's it's something that everybody should experience. I think naturally we're we're not supposed to be like in big cities. We're supposed to be like in nature. Yeah. And so um, I just enjoy seeing wildlife. Just being in nature is is just a different experience. It just takes you away from, you know, everyday life and the daily grind and stuff. And so I was able to start buying equipment. I'm sure as you went, progressed through your photography, you know, equipment, it's like, yeah, I can buy this little Canon SL1 and start photography. (laughs) And then it's like two weeks later, you're buying a $2,000 camera. Troy just got a, in the, you know, good old Amazon, right? Yeah. He just got um, like a gimbal to be able to balance the larger lenses for wildlife photography yeah. and he unpacking it last night. And now, of course, he needs a, a different tripod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, you go down that rabbit hole and, you know, pretty soon you're, you know, you're spending two, three thousand dollars on a lens. It's mm-hmm. like, where's all this money come, coming from and where is it going? So, yeah, I know, I know the feeling. So. Getting involved with nature photography, I I mainly do like wildlife and birds are are kind of what my passion are. What is it about birds? I don't know. I think the crane migration through through Nebraska kind of what drew me more into birds and being able to go and see you know something as incredible as that is is just you know life changing. When those snow geese come through, I'm. So I'm from Nevada originally. Yeah. And so birds to me was like mountain birds. Yep. You know, bluebirds and jays yeah. and hummingbirds, things like that. We moved here and I remember going out to DeSoto Bend. Mm-hmm. And they still, I know the bird counts down quite a bit since they've had the flooding. They spread out more. Yeah. But at the time that flooding hadn't taken place and so they would just swoop in and it was like, it would make me think of like, 
those biblical stories you hear where like the sun's blocked out by because there's so many. I know. They just like clouds come in and then it they, was. and the noise and it's it is pretty awe inspiring. You know, you say awesome, but like with yeah. that emphasis on the awe, it's amazing. Yeah, the first year I went out and rented a blind. So you can there's some places where you can rent a blind on the plat and literally be like, you know, five feet away from the water and you stay out overnight. Oh wow. Um the estimate for that year, the week that I was there, was like 750,000 birds. Oh. And in the mile span where I was, it was like 100,000 or something like that. And it's just awesome. like incredible. It, I mean, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. I mean. If you haven't experienced it, you just haven't experienced it. Even when you yeah. see photos, that's one of... That's one of my things. I don't do landscape or wildlife because to me, I'm like, I just, I'm frustrated that I can't capture it. So I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I try to do my best to capture what I envision, you know, my experience was or what I want to share with others. Um, and so back on photography, well, let me back up. When I worked with Ferguson, I've always been somebody that likes to own the whole process. And so when I did sales, I did like new home construction. So they would come and pick out like their plumbing. But Ferguson also did lighting and appliances. And we would have people, we'd have a sales person for each thing. So uh, a homeowner would come in, they would pick out their plumbing with somebody and then they would pick out their lighting with another person, and then they'd pick out their appliances with the appliance gal. Interesting. And the proposition that was made to me by my cousin who was running the branch and stuff was like, we need to have somebody that owns the whole thing. And I was like, I'll do it. So I learned everything about plumbing, everything about appliances, and everything about lighting. Interesting. I even became like a lighting specialist. <laughs> I don't know what I learned from that, but um, people, the goal was to have somebody just stay with, you know, one person. So I, I'm accustomed to owning the whole thing. So when it goes into photography, I wanted to own the whole thing. And as you know, when you print a photo or when you have somebody print a photo, you take it and you try to frame it to try to make it look nice and try to sell it. And you walk into a frame shop and it's like, you know, 5,000 samples on the wall. And you're like, where the heck do I start? Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, I'm just going to own the whole process. And I've always done woodworking. So I'm familiar with like table saws and, and all of that since high school. So um, our Ralston, so I graduated with Ralston. And uh, I won't say what year, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, I was always good, and I, I mean, I was good, you know, working in the wood shop and stuff like that, and built, you know, I still have the table that I built, a couple tables, in fact. And so I just decided that I'm going to start making my own frames. And so I went on YouTube University and started looking at how people are, you know, making their own frames and uh, started getting, a, you know, a table saw and and all the equipment, which is probably worse than camera equipment, <laughs> if I must say. Because, yeah, it's, if you walk into my shop like you have, like, um, I've invested, you know, a lot of money into into the tools. 
Um, but that's not to say that people don't create stuff with, you know, very little because mm -hmm. they do it all the time. Um, but it's just easier to have, you know, the nice things. Um, and so I, yeah, literally started out of my garage, um, building my own frames. I think the first frame that I did took me like three days to make because it was, I was doing like a custom inlay with like this African wood and the wood kept warping on me. And so it, it was just, it was a frustration, frustrating process. And, uh, but I finally got it. Now I'm down to like, you know, five, 10 minutes to make a frame. Really? Just to like That's glue impressive. it up together. Um, probably overall, it's like half hour, 45 minutes over the course of, you know, two, a couple days of actually doing it. So I started making my own frames. I had um, a printer in town printing my pictures and that didn't work out as well as I thought it would. And so, of course, me being the type that I am, I just bought my own printer mm -hmm. and then started learning how to print my own prints. And so I truly owned the entire process from printing, from taking the photo to editing it, to printing it, to mounting it, to matting it, to framing it, and hanging it. And the plan was, um, the original plan was to uh, travel, because obviously I love traveling. And on that part, I built a camper van. I think I've showed you. I don't know if I've got no? Troy's I'll, talked about it a lot. I've I've recently sold it, but um, I had we had a camper van that we did some traveling in. Um, but the plan was to travel, take pictures, come back, and try to sell pictures. Right. And you mentioned you know starting this business in 2019, and that was like right before COVID hit, and so I set up a gallery in my house and the plan was to you know have potential clients come over and view the gallery and stuff and and it was the week before like everything shut down so I think everything shut down like on a Monday or something it was for us it was March it was St. Patrick's Day and that would have been I forgot I don't know what date it was but I had a open house planned on March 14th Right, yeah, that'd be right near there. It was right, it was either like a day after or a day before, or the day. Mm -hmm. And so it was, my wife being in public health, she was like, no, you need to cancel. And I was like, no, I've worked too hard to mm -hmm. just cancel something. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had an open house and I sold a few prints, but I think my expectations going in and maybe... You know, probably a lot of people's expectations in terms of photography when they first get going is like, yeah, everybody's going to love my stuff and I'm going to sell a lot. And yeah, that it, it's just not true. You really have to work hard in terms of, you know, getting your name out. I say that all the time and it's, it, I agree, it's true of photography, but it's just true in general of anybody's uh, yeah. passion or business there. I mean, you're so immersed in it and you're just like, if I build it, they will come. Yeah. Like Field of Dreams. And they're not, I just say this all the time, I'm telling a broken record, but like, they're not coming. No. They're not. not. <laughs> they, no, they don't they care don't as much go. as you do no, until that's, you make them. Yeah, that's a good point. They, I mean, you really have to, yeah, you can build something that you think is magnificent, but until other people think the same way, 
then they're not going to buy it and you have to build it up, you know, to where people want your product and stuff like that. And that was the toughest thing for me after that weekend. And and then it kind of was like, you know, sit down and where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And so I started an Etsy shop with the frames and it's like, well, maybe the frames are going to take off, you know, because people need frames rather than my photography. And so I opened an Etsy shop and before you know it, I started having sales and it's like, all right, well, this is cool. That's the magical part, right? Yeah, it was, you know, the best feeling in the world like sitting, eating breakfast or whatever it is, and then you hear that like money yeah, the little ching ching <laughs> on your phone is like, heck yeah, I made another we made sale. It. <laughs> yeah, I remember it probably went off like I probably had like two sales in one day and uh my wife was standing next to me and she's like, What's that? I was like, That's money, baby. <laughs> We're going out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's I mean yeah, that's like the best sound in the world. And I still get like a little get, giddy, like when somebody even comes in and buys something for like $10 from me, it's like, you know, but that that little video of like the small business, like doing a dance after mm-hmm. a purchase, it's like, I do that every time because that's, I mean, that's my customer buying buying something from me. And that just shows that, you know, maybe I am doing something right. How did you end up in the building that you're in now because that's a big leap from like we're gonna go it was from a camper to all of a sudden you have a building because now it you're was. attached like you're t- tied down especially when you own it it you was own a big it, right? yeah it was a big decision so i never i never envision like opening a storefront but i have a good friend of mine who um he actually gave me my first job he owns some dairy queens and in 97 my mom came to me and she's like, oh, there's a new owner at Dairy Queen, which was like across the street from us. And she was like, you're going to go up there and get a job. And I'm like kicking and crying <laughs> like, I ain't getting no stinking job at Dairy Queen. Who would want to ever work at Dairy Queen? <laughs> and it, she tells me at the time, like I wanted to work at like Best Buy. Oh, way to better. To get like buy electronics. Because, sure. you know, back then like the CDs... Or like the Walkmans or whatever Mm -hmm. was the hot item. Like that was like, I want that. Not ice cream. Yeah. And so she was like, I'll take you to Best Buy, but you have to go into Dairy Queen first. And so I was like, whatever. So I walked into Dairy Queen and I walked out five minutes later. I was like, well, we don't need to go to Best Buy. And she's like, why not? I was like, well, I have a job. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Um, I tell that story because that guy has has really, I mean, he's changed my life and he has helped me build my business into what it is. And so he was going to a, a short a short story when I built my camper van. I thought that that could be a business as well. And so because um, a lot of people are buying camper vans and stuff like that still to this day with like, you know, remote work and stuff like that. And so um, I kind of forgot about this, but I would be able to spend a couple months building a van, selling it, and then go and travel and then sell my photography in between. And so him and I made a trip down to, uh, he was going to help me invest in doing, doing this business. And so we went and looked at some camper vans down in Lincoln. And then on the way down and back, um, 
I was kind of mentioning to him because I drove by in downtown Ralston. So Ralston is, we'll get into this later, but Ralston is a, is a nice town. Um, it's a small community, but it's in the bigger community, but it, it feels like you're truly in a small town where, you know, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what businesses are opening up or who owns what and stuff like that. And there's a building that had been for sale for like a year and a half, and I kept driving by it, and the guy just wanted, you know, way too much money. And so fast forward um, to driving to Lincoln with my friend, we were kind of talking about this building, and he, long story short, he helped me get the building. That wasn't like an overnight decision. It was like, do I really want this? Because I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to travel. Um, cause I would never own a business. I don't like it when you go up to a business and it's like, well, sometimes we're here on Mondays and we might be open Tuesday or Wednesday we're open for a few hours, but it's by appointment only or something like that. It's like, if you're going to do this, you got to do it right. And you got to have like regular hours. And so I finally came to, to terms with myself, you know, realize if I want to have a business, maybe the frames are what is going to sell and, you know, keep money coming in. I'm curious to know, because I talk with a lot of people who want to start a business and they ask a lot of questions, which I think is great. Um, But one of the big questions is, and I don't love the word should, but this is what the question is. Should I turn my passion into a business or should I not because then all of a sudden it's not my passion it's my work and can it flip on its head that's a fear that I hear a lot of people say yeah and then the second one to piggyback on that and I'd love your like if that was me and you were going to talk me through that I want to know what you would say to me the second piece of that is I have so many passions how do how did you practically narrow it down to pull the trigger on such a large investment because mm-hmm. now you've really set the tone. Not that you can't change them. You could certainly change what you do in a building, you can yeah. sell a building, but you know, you're kind of putting a pin in the map at that point and saying this way yep. after having all these ideas. So those are the two questions I have for you. On the first thing, how do you how do you turn your passion into a business? Yeah, and should you? And should you? How do you know when you're like, okay, this is actually just for my enjoyment? Yeah. I'm working at, you know, Warner and no, it's not my first love, but there's enough there. And so this is like my, my passion is actually through my hobby and I'm good with that. Yeah. I put a dollar behind everything. I'm yeah. like, I love this. How can I sell it? Yeah. This is great. How do I sell it? But sometimes it's hard to decide, like, should I do that? Or is it better to keep it as a passion? How'd you decide? I guess that went what went through my head first is can... And what should go through everybody's head is like, can I monetize this? Because if you can't, then, well, first of all, the IRS will look at it as a hobby. And if you're not making any money, but also, yeah, that's, that's tough because you don't want to like try to put somebody's dreams down, but at the same time, you do have to be realistic and, and knowing that if you, I guess the bigger question is, you know, like I said, can you monetize it? And not necessarily maybe that, but how do you monetize it in terms of that, you know, that keeps you in business. 
And so I would never, I guess it kind of just depends on like the passion that people have. But I'm a firm believer in trying to do whatever you can to, I don't want to say like make your dreams come true. Because if that was the case, I mean, I'd be a millionaire right now. But <laughs> I mean, to to follow your passions, like I'm a big advocate of doing that. And so it's hard, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, to somebody like, well, don't do that because you can't monetize it. Maybe the better question is like, how can I help you to monetize it? So many things can be monetized too. I mean, yeah. who would have thought that sitting in gaming could be monetized or people are professional poker players it's, or, you especially know. Especially with today, the, with, with everything that is viral and everything that goes online, like I don't think there is a limit to what you can and can't monetize. It's creating a need or want that people want and, you know, capitalizing on that. So the other question. Before you jump to the other question, I have have a follow-up now already. All right. When you were figuring that out, okay, can I monetize this? Did you sit down and actually run some numbers out? Did you, how did, like, what was your process? Did you research a little bit? Did you look around and say, well, there are framing shops or... Yeah, that's a good question. I think what I did was I didn't necessarily put any numbers down. <laughs> I should have. I didn't like write a business plan or anything like that, which, you know, I probably should have. But what I did do is look more into like the framing industry and see how that is run. And so there's not very many people that in terms of like what I would consider like a professional frame shop, none that I know of in Omaha that do what I do in terms of building everything from scratch. Now, yeah, I don't offer, you know, the four or 5,000. That's probably exaggerating a little bit, but I don't offer the thousands of moldings that the other frame shops have. But I, I do like to keep things simple in terms of, you know, not the basic stuff. Well, one of the things I like about coming in your shop is it feels like there's options. I can yeah. clear, I can enter the shop and clearly see right away, okay, I have some options here. Yep. Things are going to be customized, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. And I don't know if that's, that's what, what you're I'm, getting yeah, at. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm not trying to overwhelm my customer. There could be too many options sometimes. Exactly, yep. Like you're the expert, you guide me. Yep, exactly. And, and that's, I feel like most you're guiding and curating yep. that experience. Exactly. And so my, my whole thing in owning the process was I can be, I'm not just another frame shop setting up and selling the molding that's imported from Asia or wherever. Um, I'm creating a value for my customers that is, number one, made here in the States, number two, made locally. And it's something that's unique and um, also, you know, more, not more affordable, but like within, within reason, you know, I'm not trying to gouge people here, but also, you know, I am trying to make a living. And so I think going through my mind, it's like I can offer something that's unique and nobody else does it around. And so I think I went down that direction instead of writing down a bunch of numbers and saying, is this going to work or not? Do you write down numbers at all now? Like now that you're in it, do you track anything like that? Or is it still really driven off of, this is a unique piece, I'm going to put it out there and see how it does? 
I'm in the transitional phase right now to where it's not, obviously it's a legit business, but from like the tax man perspective, like I'm getting more into depth of like setting goals, um, trying to reach those goals and what do I have to do in order to get to those goals? So definitely I've been open uh, almost a year and a half now and I feel like I have a small piece of the market here in Omaha. Now it's not as obviously I'm not going to be like the other people, the other framers and stuff, but I know that I can grow this business to whatever I want it to be. And you're setting some benchmarks for yourself now. Uh, for absolutely. That. Yep. So yeah, like you said, where, whereas before, like, I, I mean, I kind of just went on a whim and was like... Let's try it because you never know if you're, you're not going to know if it doesn't work if you don't try it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where a lot of people have that fear is what if it doesn't work? And yeah, I mean, it's good to, you know, have an exit plan as well. And I mean, the relationships that I created in the corporate world, like worst case scenario, I can always go back to that, <laughs> try to, <laughs> you know, build up the bank account again and try something else. There is a lot of fear for people taking that first step at times. It is. Yeah. And then I will say, but on the flip side, there are people who they kind of pull the trigger maybe a little too fast. It feels like yep. you're sort of waiting in the middle here, like you're considering things, but you're not getting bogged down in too many details because sometimes creating all the business plans and things, though they can be a very helpful roadmap, you can spend all of your time learning and thinking, creating, learning, thinking, creating, and never actually taking the step. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the other side of it where I've I certainly see people start businesses and you're like, okay, we didn't think that through like at all. And they're <laughs> no. closed within a year or a month. Yeah. You know, and you're kind of like, yeah, that not surprised, right? Yep. There has to be this healthy mix of the two. And some people might lean heavier one or the other, but you've got to be able to balance between those at some point. Yeah. You just bite the bullet and you do it. And like you said, I I've not really met anybody who goes, gosh, I regretted all of that. Like yeah. you gain something from that experience regardless of Absolutely. what the outcome is. Yeah, if you if you really put yourself out there and and try to do it, you're going to gain stuff. That's what's great about where we live in terms of the overall like country is like I hear a lot of people like on podcasts talking about that our culture is accepting a failure. I think that's great. Whereas like even though like over in England or other countries, like if you fail at your business, you're like looked down upon by other people like, oh, you're a failure. For like Whereas, generations. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think number one, we're very fortunate enough to live where we live and be able to do some of the things that we want to do. But also just getting over that fear. How did you get over it? Or was there none? And then I'm also curious... I, think I mean, it, you have your, your wife as well. So she has yeah. to be playing into this as well. Yeah. So part of it is like financially, like we're okay, like financial wise that I can step out and do this. And the other part of it that didn't scare me is like, I don't want to go back to an office. Like I'm, I can't do it. So you either make this work or you're going to have to go back to an office. And so that probably, you know, scared me the most in terms of wanting to make this succeed and figuring out what my path is in terms of the business world. Because I have a lot of passions and I could have done the van business. I could have kept trying to sell photos and stuff like that. But 
I think you just take what's in front of you at the time and and run with it. It is true. You can, I love that perspective because you could have made, theoretically, really any of those models work, at least for a time. But sometimes the window closes or the door closes or the opportunity passes and that's okay. Yep. And then you take the next one and if you spend too much time looking backwards going, well, I could have done this or what about that? Well, now I'm tied down to a building. Gosh, you know, I I wish I hadn't done that. If If we spend our time looking that direction, our current direction can't move forward. Yep. And there are times, certainly in my life, I mean, the multi-passionate people like us, I could look back and be like, gosh, I, it could have gone this way and it could have gone this way, but this is this is the opportunity presented in front of me now. I'm going to seize that and just kind of ride that wave. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly like what I'm trying to do, just riding the wave. Come back next week as Vivian continues her conversation with Neil Eilers. Riding Tandem is recorded on location at the studios on South 4th at Council Bluffs, Iowa in cooperation with Todd Studer Productions.